Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Mother Nature plays catch-up. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray on this Wednesday, January 10th. Glad you, could be with, uh, glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. After a mild December, the past two days have brought tornadoes in Florida, snow in the Midwest, and flooding in the Northeast. The Pentagon says Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has prostate cancer, but why was he secretive about it with the White House? The DA prosecuting former President Trump in Georgia reportedly has been subpoenaed to testify in a divorce, possibly for an improper relationship. And breaking down the best time to eat dinner. When you eat easily digestible, highly processed foods, it uh, doesn't take you on a, on a long fast overnight. And so you have to kind of time your, your dinner accordingly in relation to when you go to bed. Julie Jargon at the Wall Street Journal on why dinner four hours before bed is the ideal time to eat. Hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses are without electricity this morning after a series of powerful weather systems delivered blizzards, heavy rain, and gusting winds overnight. The impact was felt everywhere from the central and southern plains to the Midwest, the south, the west coast, the northeast. Major damage was reported in Florida's panhandle due to a tornado in Panama City. Gary Michaels witnessed some of it. The minute I walked out the door, I saw this house. And I literally saw the house hit land on this house. From the Texas panhandle to the Great Lakes, it was overnight heavy snow. Kansas City got nearly a month's worth of precipitation in one day, with nearly 11 inches of snow and another inch of rain. The National Weather Service says the highest chances of flash flooding were in the far western Carolinas and from northern and central Virginia, through southern New York and into Connecticut and Rhode Island. Another storm is expected to bring more flooding when it hits on Friday. With heightened tensions in Asia, Europe and the Middle East, the White House for more than a week did not know that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in the hospital being treated for complications due to prostate cancer. We're now getting details. Both times he was hospitalized, Austin declined to promptly inform the White House, yet transferred authority to run the Pentagon to his deputy. The secrecy behind his hospitalization New Year's Day has angered Congress. Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul on Fox News. I think it's sort of an indictment, though, really, of the Biden administration that the people around the president don't think he's important enough to be informed. The Pentagon said that Austin had undergone a prostatectomy procedure at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center to treat prostate cancer on December 22nd and was discharged the next day. The Pentagon says then on New Year's Day, he was readmitted following complications stemming from the procedure, including severe abdominal, hip and leg pain, and nausea. Well, the furor over the undisclosed illness and hospitalization of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is showing no signs of subsiding. Mr. Austin's second-in-command wasn't even told initially why she was being put in temporary charge at the Pentagon, overseeing the world's most formidable fighting force. Analysis from Mike Glenn, Pentagon correspondent at the Washington Times. Mike, piece it together. Oh, this is this is quite. It's a tall order to piece this bizarre story together, but as best as we can figure it out, because the, the the Pentagon has not been particularly candid with uh, the information they've been dribbling out. Uh, so on December twenty second, he goes into the hospital, or Secretary Austin goes into the hospital, Walter Reed. Uh, up in Maryland to get an elective procedure, which is the only way they will describe it. 
he, he gets out the next day, comes home, spends a couple of days working from home. On January 1, he experiences uh, pains and gets goes back to the hospital, uh, back Walter Reed, where he remains. He's still in the hospital now. Um, and then so they start trying to figure out, you know, who's in charge. You know, he has a deputy. His, his number two is a woman named Kathleen Hicks. She's a deputy secretary of defense. She was on vacation at the time. So they send her the message saying that they send her an email while she's down in Puerto Rico saying uh, that she has the duties now of the secretary. Uh, she doesn't know for a couple more days why she has the duties. She didn't. Apparently, she didn't ask why because they won't tell us that because uh, I would have thought if it was me who said you're in charge of the Pentagon now. Yeah, I would have said why. But apparently she didn't. Um, and two days after that, on January 4th, they bothered to tell the White House that the secretary has been in ICU uh, at Walter Reed. And then the day after that, on January 5th, they tell Congress, the press, us, and ultimately the American people. Jeez. So... If your listeners are confused, don't worry. So are we, and I work in the Pentagon. We're speaking with Mike Glenn, Pentagon reporter at the Washington Times. His piece is called Pentagon Number 2 Didn't Know Why She Was in Charge. So you said Deputy Secretary Kathleen Hicks is on vacation. She got an email? Is yeah, that, she, she is was that a better uh, correspondence to contact your number two than email? Yeah, she was notified, and apparently, you know, there is a procedure where, you know, if there's some point where he, where the uh, secretary is sort of out of communications, like if he's, you know, they use the example uh, when he went to visit the USS Gerald R. Ford, uh, there was a time he was in an aircraft going from one, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, if, if he's ever out of communication for even a few minutes, they just sort of arbitrarily say you're in charge for a while until. So, you know, it happens, it happens, you know, not often, but occasionally it does. And I think she just thought it was just another, I, you know, I don't know. It's just my guess, but I think she thought it was another short term, you know, that she'd be in charge while he's away from the phone for a while. Um, but what, for whatever reason, she didn't find out until two days later. That is because that she'd always been in charge and she, you know, because he was in the hospital uh, in ICU. Mm. This is the largest fighting force in the world, as you point out in your piece. Uh, are we to be alarmed as citizens? I mean, it's definitely concerning, and, and they realize that, and they've been trying to do mea culpas over it. And even Secretary uh, Austin put out a statement saying, you know, he realizes he could have done a better job of informing, and uh, you know, and they promise to do better next time. But you know, quite frankly, you know, you know. Uh, those of us in the Pentagon press corps, uh, we're sort of cynical anyway, you know, suspicious anyway. So, you know, you, you can actually show me, you know, don't just tell me, show me. All right. Thanks, Mike. Mike Glenn, Pentagon correspondent at The Washington Times. Again, we now know it was an elective procedure for prostate cancer for Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do 
so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Glad you're with us. Welcome into Wednesday. An appeals court in Washington, D.C. is indicating it would reject a claim by former President Trump that he's immune from prosecution on charges he plotted to overturn the 2020 election. At one point, the three-judge panel yesterday asked Trump's lawyer if, hypothetically, a president could face prosecution for ordering the elite SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival. After the hearing, Trump said that denying him immunity would cause bedlam in the country. I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong. I'm working for the country. Judge Karen Henderson is on the appeals court. I think it's paradoxical to say that his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal laws. Trump was present in the courtroom yesterday and is also expected to sit in on a hearing tomorrow in his civil uh, civil fraud case in New York with the Iowa caucuses less than a week away. 20 minutes now after the hour on this morning America's first news here's Nicole Murray. And now the three big things you need to know. Number one. The Pentagon has released a statement revealing Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is being treated for complications related to prostate cancer. Reports say Lloyd had a minimally invasive surgery on December 22nd to treat the condition. The secretary then returned to the hospital more than a week later due to a urinary tract infection that left him with severe abdominal, hip, and leg pain. Many White House staffers were not aware of Lloyd's condition, including President Biden, who learned the news yesterday, Republican Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana. It is a shame that he's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, and I certainly wish him well, but I wish him well in his private life. I think it's time for the president to uh, take action, and if he doesn't, then the House of Representatives will. The White House says Lloyd will return to his position once recovered. Number two. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. will help Israel rebuild and govern Gaza post-war, but under one condition. There must be a pathway to a Palestinian state. Every partner that I met on this trip said that they're ready to support a lasting solution that ends the long-running cycle of violence and ensures Israel's security. But they underscored that this can only come through a regional approach that includes a pathway to a Palestinian state. Blinken did not elaborate on whether Israel is receptive to a Palestinian state. The secretary did reaffirm the U.S. US's support for Israel, ensuring that October 7th can never happen again. Number three. Masked gunmen took over a television studio in Ecuador yesterday, waving guns and explosives while taking staff members hostage during a live broadcast. The country's police commander confirmed that 13 masked gunmen had been arrested and will be charged with terrorism. A new study says most protein foods are contaminated with microplastics. The nonprofit Ocean Conservancy found that approximately 88% of chicken, beef, seafood, pork, tofu, and even plant-based food products tested contain contaminants. And are you sure you spotted that UFO? A renowned astrophysicist said biological creatures would not be able to survive the billion-year journey through space to planet Earth. Instead, scientists believe aliens would be more likely the result of artificial intelligence. How would they know about the biological makeup of an alien from another galaxy? Maybe they're just trying to calm our nerves. Come on.
If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Turns out your grandparents were onto something with those early bird dinners. The best time to eat the evening meal is four hours before bedtime. With the specifics, here's Julie Jargon, columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Julie, why is this important? Well, it's particularly important because uh, most Americans are eating poorly. Uh, The standard American diet consists of a lot of ultra-processed foods. And so uh, when you eat easily digestible, highly processed foods, it uh, doesn't take you on on a long fast overnight. And so you have to kind of time your, your dinner accordingly in relation to when you go to bed. Okay. So the peak and range with regards to the time of the average American dinner is what? Yeah, so the peak dinner time in America is 6.19 p.m. I know that's oddly specific, um, but it really is variable depending on what part of the country you live in. It can range anywhere from 5 p.m. to sometime after 8 p.m. Um, but really the ideal time to eat dinner is four hours before you go to bed. And why is that? The reason is that melatonin, which is the hormone that signals that it's um, time to you know, wind down and go to bed, makes you sleepy, it begins to rise about three hours before you go to bed. And it also tells the pancreas to cut back on insulin production. So if you're eating late and you have a blood sugar spike as a result, uh, your body has a harder time regulating your blood sugar. And when your blood sugar is out of control, that can put you at risk for diabetes and other metabolic disorders. So it's a good time to eat dinner before melatonin starts kind of shutting things down in your body and getting you prepared to go to sleep. Wow. Is that the same as uh, eating late can make you heavier? Yeah, it's basically the, the same you know, principle in effect there that you know if you're eating late at night um, and you're not regulating your, your blood sugar... Um, it can cause your, your body to store more fat. It can reduce the levels of leptin, which is the hormone that tells your brain when you're full. Uh, that was based on a study that was conducted. Um, another study found that people with type 2 diabetes who ate dinner after 8 p.m. had poorer blood sugar control. Mm. And also, eating too late at night can affect your sleep quality, especially if you've got you know acid reflux or other issues. It can uh, you know cause you to stay awake and, and have some discomfort. Wow. We're speaking with Julie Jargon, columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Her piece is called, What's the Best Time to Eat Dinner? Here's the math. Specifically, it comes down to about 6.19 p.m. Um, also, it's not just the timing here. It's what we eat that matters. What would you look at here? 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I talked to some experts who have studied what hunter-gatherers and early farmers uh, ate. And, uh, you know, back back in the day, dinner was high in protein and fiber, had a little bit of fat. Um, but now we're consuming more of our calories from carbohydrates, which take longer to digest. And we also don't move as much as uh, earlier humans um, who walked, you know, 16,000 to 17,000 steps a day. The average American now walks 3,000 to 4,000 steps wow. a day. So we're not getting as much exercise, um, and, and, you know, movement helps dige- digestion and blood sugar control. So, you know, even if you can't walk that many steps a day, just some nightly movement, you know, walking around the block before or after dinner can help, you know, get things digesting and regulate your blood sugar before mm-hmm. uh, you settle down for the night. Julie Jargon, columnist at The Wall Street Journal. 30 minutes now after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. An all-star team of the world's best journalists bring you the facts each and every morning. This is America's First News. This morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Wednesday, January 10. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines. Hundreds of thousands without power. From the Midwest to the east after severe storms brought snow, tornadoes, powerful winds, and flooding. At least one New York City school is closed today because migrants from a tent shelter had to be relocated there because of the weather. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has prostate cancer, but it's not clear why he's been secretive about it. The two top-ranked college basketball teams lost last night, and the cat that fled a truck stop and was found more than 600 miles away. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Discover. Discover wants everyone to feel special with live 24-7 customer service. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Government hirings helped boost job growth in recent months as the pandemic-era employment recovery continues to normalize, but the U.S. may be seeing the tail end of this phenomenon. An explainer from Megan Lenhart, senior economic reporter at Barron's. Megan, what's up here? So, obviously, 2023 was the year of upside surprises in labor market data, and in particular, government hiring really did pick up last year. And in recent months, it certainly led the charge in some of that uh, data that we were seeing regarding those upticks in the hiring. Okay. And now things are starting to perhaps change. Explain why. Well, it's interesting. The December report, which just came out uh, last Friday, was sort of showing that government employment increased by 52,000 jobs, which is a lot. And certainly, you know, it was split between not only federal employment, which is up by about 7,000 workers over the month, but local government, state, local, municipality, actually carried the bulk of that. So they actually got around uh, 37,000 job gains last month. Now, you know, certainly, you know, that's good news. It's, it's helped, you know, definitely um, keep the, the labor numbers, you know, in, in good form. It certainly, you know, has 
contributed to some of the strong reports that we've seen of late. But a lot of that money actually comes from government stimulus that was still making its way through the system all these years later. Mm. So, you know, it, it is one of those situations where the money isn't going to be there indefinitely. And at some point, the hiring is going to slow. And experts are saying this is the year. Mm. We're speaking with Megan Lenhart, senior economic reporter at Barron's. Her piece is called Government Went on a Hiring Spree. That's about to change. All right, so you zeroed in specifically on uh, education hiring. What's happening there? Yeah, so education is sort of a great example of this trend. So during the pandemic, we saw that Congress allocated somewhere in the neighborhood of $277 billion in relief. And a lot of that went to an education stabilization fund, which, of course, was incredibly valuable for schools and municipalities to help recover from those, you know, crazy pandemic lockdowns and when schools and students were doing a lot of remote learning. So that meant hiring on, you know, not only new positions and new teachers, but also sitting there and, you know, doing structural upgrades to buildings and things of that nature as well. Well, now all of that is sort of in the rearview mirror. And of course, it took years in in some cases for all of that money to get distributed into awards and grants and different things. But at this point, we're pretty much at the tail end of that. So actually, some of the experts I spoke to said that it may be the situation where school districts and municipalities could be even cutting back on their payrolls this year. Wow. Just because that money's not going to be there again, the budget's not going to be the same? Exactly. A lot of that money was temporary relief. And so, you know, a lot of the positions, you know, that were hired, you know, maybe one of those situations where they have found money in the budget and they're keeping them, but they're certainly not hiring a bunch more. Yeah. Explain kind of post-pandemic that battle for workers between the private and public sector. It's really interesting. Over the last couple of years, you know, we've definitely had labor shortages. We all remember the the great resignation, you know, kind of effects that were going on. A lot of churn, a lot of things happening here. And what ended up really coming to the forefront was that the private sector was able to really lure in the workers at the beginning because they were able to offer higher raises, they were able to offer more pay, a lot of the benefits that people were looking for. All good news for, you know, workers nationwide. But as the public, as the private sector, excuse me, uh, started to, to really fill up on their on their payrolls and, and get themselves in a, in a better situation, that opened up opportunities for the public sector, who traditionally, you know, have not historically had the highest pay or perhaps the best benefits, but they're solid jobs. And so folks that, you know, may be looking for something a little bit different or things that, you know, they were a little bit later to the game, the jobs are there in that public sector. And so, of course, government really did see a little bit of a boost in hiring later in the game than the private sector did. Thanks, Megan. Megan Lenhart, senior economic reporter at Barron's. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. 
That's Dell.com slash welcome to now. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Wednesday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, it appears the new year is the time where we look at our everyday habits and assess what we're doing wrong. Yesterday was how long should you wear your underwear before changing them? And today we find out the correct way to hang your toilet paper. The debate has raged since the beginning of indoor plumbing as to what direction your toilet paper roll should be hung with everyone having their own very strong opinions. Now an etiquette expert has weighed in revealing that over and not under is the proper way to do it. The reason is germs. Jackie Vernon Thompson tells the Daily Mail that it's more hygienic that way because if the paper is over when you reach for it, your fingers will touch only the piece that you plan to use and flush rather than having to touch the other pieces of the roll and potentially spreading bacteria and germs. Because you're feeling around behind the roll, I guess, trying to find I, the under. I guess so, but it seems just as easy to grab the, you know, if you even behind the roll, yeah. it seems just as easy to just grab the piece, the piece from right? under there. Yeah. I guess you could accidentally touch the rest of the roll with your fingers if you're, if you're not careful. Uh, maybe that's what you get when you when you ask an etiquette expert about <laughs> hygiene. Yeah. I don't know, just wondering. I, yeah, I, I suppose so. I guess you probably just do whatever your parents did, right? Whatever yeah. you grew up with in your house yeah. is what you do. And then I guess some conflict can arise if you marry somebody, right, who right. did it the opposite way. Uh, if you've both, yeah. you both change the toilet paper roll. If you have conflict over this, I think you have other things going on in your marriage. (laughs) Yes, I I suppose so. (laughs) And uh, Gordon, we know that you're big into cocktails these days, which is why I suspect you'd never make this mistake when you're out at a bar. A woman has gone viral on TikTok after claiming that she accidentally ordered a cocktail costing over $2,000. The woman, a native of Belfast, Ireland, said that she and her husband were spending a few days in London before the new year. And after a night out and already feeling a bit tipsy, the two stumbled into their hotel bar looking to drink some more. The woman says she usually drinks champagne, not cocktails, but after striking up a conversation with the bartender, she was convinced to order something called the 1890, which she thought referred to the price being 18 pounds, 90 pence, when in fact the drink cost 1,890 pounds, or around $2,400. And given its ingredients, including Cristal Champagne, 30-year-old Cognac, and Gold Leaf, you can see why it would cost more than 20 bucks. After getting the bill, the couple was floored, and the woman was very upset, but she said the five-star hotel was understanding about her mishap and said that they would be giving the bartender further training Mm. to make sure that this never happens again. By the way, I think my my favorite line from the story here in a demonstration of how this couple really gets after it Mm -hmm. already feeling a bit tipsy (laughs) the two stumbled into their hotel bar looking to drink some more yes i mean (laughs) look yeah i I mean i may have added the stumble part for for effect i I, I don't think that was not her quote uh, from her but uh, you can imagine they were she did say tipsy they're already tipsy tipsy was definitely a thing so you can imagine the the, you know feeling that they were having feeling good about life as they made their way into the bar that night that's that's two people who really get after it uh, yeah and Look, <laughs> looking to drink more at the hotel bar to round up the night that's yeah, good stuff yeah and, and probably shouldn't have been uh, convinced by the bartender to uh mm, to order the two thousand right. uh, dollar she was even uh, required to sign some sort of book she said as well so there was like a whole process to wow. this so she probably should have known that there was more to it than just you know an 18 yeah. pound uh, cocktail wow financial waiver she had to sign it sounds like <laughs> most likely goodness Thank you, Mike. Even as serious questions emerged about why a door plug flew off an Alaska Airlines jet last week, one question was on the mind of many cell phone users, and that is, how did an iPhone reportedly fall 16,000 feet from that aircraft and survive intact? The phone was found in Portland alongside a road under a bush. Lou Bloomfield 
an emeritus professor of physics at the University of Virginia, told USA Today that a tumbling iPhone should flutter down like a big penny. But a key factor is where the phone would have fallen. He says if it had fallen just a few feet to the side and hit the road instead of the bushes, it could have been a different story. David Rakestraw, senior scientist at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, says it's like how a pillow slows the impact over a longer period of time than a brick wall would with something falling. It's also the reason passenger cars and trucks have airbags to absorb the force by slowing the impact. Phone cases are made of material, by the way, that flexes and gives upon impact. Eight minutes in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. A federal appeals court has signaled it would reject former President Donald Trump's claim that he is immune from prosecution on charges he plotted to overturn the 2020 election. Trump's legal team says former presidents should not be prosecuted for actions they took while in office. Judge Florence Pan in response. It, 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 all of your other arguments seem to fall away. Your separation of powers arguments fall away. Your policy arguments fall away if you concede that a president can be criminally prosecuted under some circumstances. Trump is due to go to trial in March on federal charges of election subversion. Number two. At least three people have been killed and multiple others injured across four states after a series of powerful weather systems wreak havoc across the U.S. Heavy snow hit the Midwest. Strong winds and flooding were seen along the East Coast with over 500,000 people still without power. A North Carolina resident describes two people being injured by a possible tornado. They had got under the house and then it just sucked them all up and set it back down. A second storm with tornado warnings, heavy snow and freezing winds is expected across the country later this week. Number three. The National Transportation Safety Board reveals the door plug on the Boeing MAX 9 plane was fractured and fell off during last Friday's mid-air emergency. The Federal Aviation Administration says every Boeing 737-9 MAX aircraft with a plug door will remain grounded until inspections are completed. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun. We're going to approach this, number one, acknowledging our mistake. We are going to approach it with 100% and complete transparency every step of the way. Loose bolts have already been discovered on 737 MAX 9 planes during inspections. Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert's ex-husband Jason Boebert has been arrested and is facing charges, including misdemeanor assault and criminal mischief. CBS News reports Jason's charges are in connection with an altercation that occurred Saturday with Lauren at a restaurant. He has been released on a $2,500 bail. A Sleep Foundation survey says 37 percent of U.S. adults slept worse in 2023 than previous years. Sleep hacks that may help. Take a shower before bed, use a weighted blanket, and keep the house cold at night to slow one's heart rate. Very good. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Glad you're with us. A truck driver from Decatur, Illinois, has been reunited with his cat after the feline fled from his vehicle during a stop in Nevada. Chad McIntyre said his cat Tyler often accompanies him on his long-haul drives. He told KSTU-TV he was changing Tyler's litter box when the feline wandered off at a Flying J truck stop in Fernley, east of Reno. Chad's wife sounded the alarm about Tyler's missing status on the trucker social media network. He turned up five days later at a Flying J truck stop in Rock Springs, Wyoming, about 670 miles away. The cat was taken to a local shelter and scanned for a microchip, which gave rescuers McIntyre's contact info. Independent transport coordinator Joan Nickham coordinated a series of drivers to voluntarily take Tyler from shelter to shelter along the route until he was returned home in Decatur. 
That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.